friends, welcome to the Pastor's Cut podcast. This is the podcast that's going to correspond with the message, I believe, for the second weekend in May, for Mother's Day weekend. Wow. It's hard to believe that we're already coming that up is on... very Is it that right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Mother's Day weekend. Here we come. <laughs> Good reminder for you, all, all the men out there, make sure you get something for your mom and for your wife on behalf of your children, if you have children, make sure you take care of that. That's an important thing. Yes. <laughs> so as we're preparing for this lesson, interestingly enough, we're talking about trying to help out and give some hints. Uh, the lesson is going to be covering the, the song with a little help from my friends. That's right. And so as we get started... <laughs> Marissa, tell us some fun facts about the Beatles. You are the, the Beatles aficionado on yeah. staff. Yeah, so it's kind of a um, something that harkens back to the guys' uh, boy band era, that on every album, every single Beatle would have one song that they would uh, sing on, so that every person had kind of a distinctive voice, so the fans could kind of, you know, come to love them and their voice. And that was something that stuck with the band throughout their careers, and they would always write a song for Ringo. He would either do a cover song or, or um, do one of the 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 one of the tracks. So on uh, Sergeant Pepper, they wrote with a little help from my friends for Ringo, and it was just a celebration of friendship. Mm. It's this really he always did kind of fun. Uh, they called them kids songs because he loved kids so much. And of course, uh, for younger people, you might have um, your first exposure to him might have been like through Shining Time Station as the conductor. You know, he just loved children, mm-hmm. loved um, speaking to kids. And so they always gave him like songs that kind of had more of a childlike uh, wonder to them. And uh, the first line of the song is, What would you do if I sang out of tune? But John and Paul would never have allowed that to happen. They always wrote in a very limited uh, key for him. Um, Mm -hmm. They always tailored the songs perfectly to his limited vocal range. They guaranteed that he would shine. Mm -hmm. And these songs became actually, you know, they weren't number one hits. They weren't, uh, you know, they weren't fantastic songs, but they were really, really popular because he was so likable. And they wanted the best for him. They wanted him to be successful. And he trusted them. Yes. You know, uh, he trusted them to know his voice. He trusted them to lift him up and not let him fall. This song was uh, recorded um, on the same day that they set up. I mean, if you picture Sgt. Pepper's Only Heart Club Band, you picture the cover of the album and mm-hmm. how intricate it was and, and gorgeous and the, the set direction and everything. They had set that up all day long. Then they decided to lay down the instrumental tracks for this song during the night. And at 5.45 in the morning, they said, okay, Ringo, it's time for you to sing. And he was like, are you kidding me? I'm not going to do this right now. I'm, I'm exhausted. <laughs> They're like, no, we got to get this out. And, you know, all of the guys were standing around him as he sang. Um, the, the, the exhaustion kind of took away his nervousness. And they supported him through the singing of this vocal track. You can actually hear at the end, right before he sings the high note at the very end, uh, George says hi. Like, you know, he, that made it to the final recording where he's like, you know, come on, let's do this. And, uh, mm. and they recorded this with all of his friends around him. So it's an incredible song. 
uh, maybe not musically, <laughs> mm-hmm. because um, Joe Cocker would later record this, and that's you know that's a phenomenal track. The way that he slowed it down I, and made it this soulful anthem. And I was going to ask, yeah. so which version do you like better? Do oh, like, it's Joe Cocker, like, of course. Uh, oh, yeah. And yeah, and and pretty much when he uh, when he recorded that, I think John, it was John that said, you know, uh, well, it's his song now. So <laughs> they they knew it, they loved it, mm-hmm. um, they took out a um, a page ad in the newspaper to congratulate him on the on the track and uh, and that is I mean that's a beautiful uh, song. Mm-hmm. Um, the theme of the Wonder Years is is how uh, I grew up in the early '90s uh, would remember it and just beautiful. Um, but uh, but this track is just it's a beautiful picture of friendship and trusting one another and uh, lifting a friend up so that they can shine. Yes, absolutely. And, and man, what a, what a powerful image! I, I seem to remember reading uh, about that song recently that Ringo Starr did that and tours subsequent after the Beatles broke up. Just continued to perform that song and oh, yeah. pay homage to the Beatles uh, at the end of the song and would walk away. That would be his concluding song. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was iconic for him. Yeah. And it meant, you know, as as uh, he and Paul are the only surviving Beatles now, it means even more now that uh, that George and John are gone and so many of his friends just in the music industry, mm-hmm. um, because it was a hard-living group, um, you know, it, but it's a way for him to remember them and, and hold them up still. Yes. Yeah. And so here we are talking about Need a Little Help from My Friends, and we're looking at a passage in Mark chapter 2 where a man actually gets help from his friends to encounter Jesus in a crowded house, and in the process of encountering Jesus, is forgiven of his sins and is healed. Mm. And there's so much richness in this passage. Uh, And so as we begin, Marissa, would you mind reading for us the the passage? Because I have in in my hands the CSB version, not the NIV. Okay, yeah, I'll do it in NIV. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowering the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, "'Son, your sins are forgiven.'" Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. But I want you to know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up. Take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. Such a powerful image uh, of what was happening in that passage, as everyone was amazed at what took place. As we start cracking at this passage, I'm just going to throw it out. I know Darren likes to usually take it small steps at a time. Mm-hmm. What's your biggest shot? What's your biggest takeaway from this passage? Oh, it's such it's one of my very favorite stories and it's such um a great pairing um this Mark 2 and uh with a little help from my friends. 
And of course, you know, the most controversial line of with a little help from my friends is the one that got it banned in the U.S. Uh, I get high with a little help from my friends. But in our context, all that we mean from getting high with your friends is them lifting you up to the rooftops. Absolutely. That's, that's as, as much as, uh, <laughs> as can, deep as I can. We can keep our innocent Baptist yeah, yeah. bubble with that. <laughs> But, you know, we've talked about this on the podcast before, but I love uh, this scheme of the friends to get their friend up to the rooftop, mm-hmm. that they would stop at nothing. Um, they were compassionate. They were selfless. And uh, they were willing to um, to make a huge commotion on behalf of their friend. You know, it was impossible to get in the room. Jesus was talking to so many important teachers and leaders of the village, and they would stop at absolutely nothing to get her the, his their friend the healing that he needed. So, um, you know, we're told um, that we're to love God with all our heart and all our strength and all our mind and to love our neighbor like ourselves. I mean, this is literally what they're doing. They're using all of their strength to lift their friend up Mm -hmm. so that he can meet Jesus. So this is the greatest commandment in action. And uh, I am always struck by the incredible amount of trust it took for the man who was paralyzed to allow his friends to do this. I imagine that there was probably a little bit of pushback. I imagine he said, don't worry about it, it's okay. And they were insistent mm-hmm. to care for him in mm-hmm. the way that he needed. And um, just what an incredible amount of trust that is um, to allow those who love us to care for us and, and to carry advocate. our burdens. Yes, yes, and to advocate for us, exactly. And it's just this incredible picture of the love that we should carry between us, um, the love both given and received, um, there is something very holy and caring for other people, but it's just as holy, it's just as divine to allow others to care for us. And that's mm-hmm. a very, very difficult thing to do sometimes. If I were teaching this in a community group, I think one of the places that I would begin would be just that. What Has there been a moment in your life when you needed someone else to care for you? And what did that look like? How did they carry you through it? Or did you isolate yourself? And, and were you unable to let anybody else mm-hmm. in? Because um, there's something powerful uh, about talking through what role can community play in that. But then flipping that around, just like you're exploring what would it be like if you were in this paralyzed man's shoes and you desperately need help from other people, has there ever been a moment when you've been able to be there for someone else? Because those people really cared for this guy. They, they intentionally went out of their way to dig a hole in somebody's roof right <laughs> now thankfully it wasn't like like we think of an adobe hut where it was it was really high tech it was a thatch roof yeah most yeah. scholars think but the that homeowner it was still probably annoyed they were probably still annoyed, <laughs> but they probably the, yeah. they probably they still <laughs> would have to repair it annually so it wasn't like it yeah. was a significant inconvenience it was an inconvenience but not the end of the world i think one of the things that strikes me about the passage is that Jesus is the middle of teaching a lesson. Mm. And in the middle of teaching a lesson, there's a hole in the roof, and Jesus stops what he's doing. He doesn't pray for the guy and heal the guy. He says, you're forgiven. Mm. What did you read about that? What significance did you see in that? Um, Man, there's, again, just thinking about the song and how um, there's so many people in our society and in our church community who seem to be missing something Mm -hmm. in the eyes of most people. Um, The line in the song, uh, does it worry you to be alone? How do I feel by the end of the day? Are you sad because you're on your own? 
And then the the narrator, the hero of the song says, no, I get by with a little help from my friends. So the chorus is so overly concerned Mm -hmm. um, about whether or not he's okay um, because of how he's living, because of uh, not having this in this song, not having a significant other. Um, society says that he should feel badly about his situation, and yet he is living. He's fully fulfilled. He's he's fine. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, in the lyric, I imagine it's someone living with a disability, just like the man that was paralyzed. Maybe someone who's single, someone who doesn't have kids, someone who doesn't want kids. Um, there are so many uh, situations within our church culture where uh, people do- aren't living this typical picture-perfect uh, life of, you know, two kids and a house or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's so many different ways to be fulfilled and so many different ways to be satisfied with the life that God's given you. And he has nothing missing. He has nothing, uh, no reason not to be fulfilled. Um, plenty of people often will like evoke, a, you know, poor you, I don't know how you do it, or, or are you doing okay? And the response that people give is, you know, it's, it's like, I'm fine, I'm fine. <laughs> and so that's what this song is saying again and again. How are you? I'm fine. I'm getting by. But it's a little bit sarcastic. You know, I'm really, it's, it's I'm fine. I'm thriving. So mm-hmm. when the song says, don't you feel badly? Aren't you afraid? Aren't you missing out? Don't you wish things were different? The answer is no. Are you sad when you're alone? No, I'm not alone. I have my friends. Yes. I have my community. I'm fulfilled. I rely on the strength of, of my friends. And when and when I don't have what's within me and what's within my friends to help me thrive, where that's lacking, God makes up that. And God is my strength. God is my provision. He's the resources when resources are thin. So, you know, this man who was paralyzed was living in a time and in a place which we kind of think is archaic, but isn't a lot different than the way we kind of think of people now, where people assumed that he had done something wrong or his parents had done something wrong. There was something in his past, some sin or transgression that it had, uh, had happened that had caused his paralysis. Um, and when it, Jesus looks at him, and before he addresses uh, his disability, before he addresses his physical condition, he looks at his spiritual condition and calls him son. Um, and in the uh, the account in Luke, he calls him friend. Mm. What he is telling the man is there is nothing that separates you and I. There's no, no sin that is you know special that's caused this in your life. You are full, and you are uh, you are complete just as you are. What you need is something spiritual. And the man received that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I truly believe it. If he had gone home with his friends that day with just the forgiveness of, spoken over him, he would have been completely fulfilled with that experience. Mm-hmm. He, he received what he needed in, in Jesus speaking his identity as a son, as a child of God over him, and speaking that forgiveness over him. And, and the, um, the healing of his paralysis was just a bonus, yeah. which is a gift. Um, and I, I, I think that really there's so many times when we look at someone um, that may not fit the perfect picture as as someone to be pitied, and Jesus is saying that is not the case. So, absolutely yes. The, there's so much in here I think about about the mission that, that God sent Jesus with, that, that Jesus then entrusted us with, that that the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God coming in our midst is about bringing 
the fullness of, of the stuff of heaven, for us to experience healing and restoration with God, with other people. And Jesus announcing you are forgiven is a part of that process that deals with the spiritual, the supernatural issue more than really even the surface issues. Mm-hmm. And, and so him talking about your sins are forgiven was an announcement of the authority of God being present in their midst, which is why the Pharisees got all bent out of shape. Mm-hmm. So many times they do get bent out of shape. I love that Jesus invites us on that same mission. And, and maybe even in, in this story, as we see the, the friends that are a part of that story, that are getting their friend to a place where he can experience healing and wholeness that comes from relationship with Jesus, where Jesus restores whatever brokenness is there underneath the surface, Maybe there's something for us there, too, that, that we're called to come alongside of people wherever they're at in their journey, to invite them to experience healing and wholeness and help them get introduced to Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, most likely the teachers and Pharisees were annoyed because Jesus was speaking for God, of course, um, because mm-hmm. how can he assume to know what God is thinking? How could he know who God chooses to forgive? Um, and Jesus, is, he says to them, not only do I speak with knowledge of God's mind, but I myself have the authority to forgive. He's saying to them, you know, you're right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you figured it out. Only God has the authority to forgive. <laughs> I love that little that turn there. Your only error is that you can't see that God is standing right in front of you. Yes. Um, and the Pharisees, you know, we've, we've said many times on this podcast, the Pharisees aren't necessarily the villains of this story. And they're us. We're all Mm -hmm. skeptical. We all want proof. Our natural inclination is to question and ask for proof and and, uh, to wonder if Jesus can really forgive us Mm -hmm. um, and offer, you know, the same kind of freedom that he offered the paralyzed man. So when Jesus speaks to the Pharisees, you know, he's speaking to our own skepticism. He's speaking to our own hearts and stubborn brains that question whether or not he has the power to heal us. And, and he does. Uh, he does have the power to forgive. Uh, he has that authority. And when it says everyone was amazed and was praising God, I love that the Pharisees were included in that, mm-hmm. um, that they too, you know, this is very early on in Jesus' ministry. Uh, I think that they probably had a lot of joy um, when they experienced the man's healings. You know, they weren't annoyed by it. They didn't leave in a huff. Everyone was praising yes. God when yes. this happened. But even in Acts, I mean, there's a number of Pharisees that have joined the Jesus-following right. community. So, so there is that sense that, that some of the Pharisees, at least, we know were excited about Jesus oh, and sure. excited about the miracles and what was taking shape. Yeah, and probably some of them believed in Jesus that day. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe they joined the, the ranks of the disciples. Uh, many others were probably amazed, though, and were unchanged in the long run. You know, yeah. we often experience things... Um, you know, we witness God working, we, we get really excited in the moment, and we're overcome with awe, maybe as some people in that crowd were that day, mm-hmm. but later we may rationalize it away or uh, <laughs> explain it away, and that feeling of awe fades as we get in our own way between yes. ourselves and God. And I imagine that happened with many people there, too. A good thing that I always love to do when I'm teaching is, is sometimes, especially in these narrative passages in, in the Gospels, I love to ask the question, okay, look look at all of the different people that are in the story, and then ask a question, go around the room once, what would you be thinking if you were one of these Pharisees that's right here with Jesus, and and you're feeling these feelings of, of frustration towards Jesus or arrogance? What do you think when Jesus speaks to your your, your very thoughts, or put yourself in, in the shoes of the crowd that's gathered around there? or put yourselves in, in the, the shoes of the friend, 
and ask some similar questions. What's your perspective? Just putting yourselves in different seats almost helps look at the passage through a different lens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I would think too, uh, you know, the very last verse of this passage um, where everyone is amazed saying, we've never seen anything like this. And in Luke, it says uh, that they have seen something remarkable. Everyone was talking about amongst mm-hmm. each other, um, talking about how remarkable this event was. So I would ask the group, um, when you see or witness or experience remarkable works of God today, um, what are you going to do about it tomorrow? Um, how will we continue to respond uh, when you have a beautiful worship experience on Sunday? Think intentionally about how you're going to continue to respond on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Will our experience with Jesus spur us to sustain change, or is it going to fade into the background and just become a, a, you know, a memory that fades away uh, as we go about our business as if it never happened at all? Kind of that mountaintop church camp experience. How, how do you sustain that? And tying it right back to the theme, how can your community group be a part of that part process of making sure that what happens on Sunday isn't just an event isolated from the rest of the week, but how can we as a community group encourage each other to keep momentum going so that when you experience Jesus, that it will influence what happens Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, mm-hmm. Friday, Saturday, and not just as an isolated event. Yeah, sounds great. <laughs> there are so many different places you could go with this. Um, I those were just a couple of ideas that I had off the surface. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else that jumps out to you from the passage, Marissa? Um, when we're talking about, you know, this is the only song that we're talking about in the Beatles about Ringo. Mm. And after the Beatles broke up, um, he had a very, very public downfall um, where he um, just said that he felt lost without a band around them, without having those friends lifting him up and encouraging him, and um, and he became very um, angry um, because of the, the the ribbing that he received. You know, there's a famous uh, joke about uh, someone asking John Lennon if uh, if Ringo was the greatest Beatle or greatest drummer in the world, mm. and John responding, "You know, he's not even the greatest drummer in the Beatles," and that wasn't true. I mean, he's a magnificent drummer. He mm-hmm. he was mm-hmm. ahead of his time as far as you know. You can hear a lot of his style and in punk rock drummers and his fills were fantastic and mm-hmm. and but because of his personality um he just didn't receive the accolades that that he deserved and he didn't have that self-confidence mm. so later on in life he was very um angry about that experience and decided to be try to be self-sufficient and that went horribly um and it wasn't until he realized it, it wasn't until 1989 which is quite long after the, after the Beatles disbanded, mm-hmm. um, that he again realized how much he needed his friends. So I wish Darren was here to talk about Joe Walsh of the Eagles, <laughs> 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 you know, um, helped him in his sobriety and, and went with him to AA and, mm-hmm. and helped him form a new band. And, um, but it was later on in life when he realized, you know, I need to be able to trust people again. Mm-hmm. And that's when he received healing and, and, uh, and was able to battle that loneliness that he felt during the 70s and 80s. Um, so, you know, there will be times in our lives when we see needing other people as a weakness, but we are all weak, and that's not mm-hmm. a flaw. Mm-hmm. Um, God has created us to be people who need others. Um, and that is not um, something that we should resist, um, that we should should 
embrace that about ourselves and allow others to care for us. Absolutely. Yes. Um, as, as we're having this conversation, I'm almost certain there may be someone either in your community group or someone maybe in a church on Sunday morning that's showing up for the first time on, on this Mother's Day weekend that feels isolated and alone. Mm. And you never know what, what a simple hi, a simple how are you doing, simple can I pray for you, will we'll go a long distance for them. Maybe to remind people in your community group, sometimes it feels like we can take things on our own and we try to take things on our own. We really do need each other. And God designed us to walk with each other intentionally mm-hmm. to find healing and wholeness. Jesus died to give us healing and wholeness, but we can collectively encourage each other to find that. Yes. And so I think that's my parting challenge for us <laughs> as we wrap up our podcast for today. So with that, I, I want to just say thank you for tuning in today. We'll be back next week with another round. I, I Hopefully Darren will be feeling better so he can join us. Until then, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May God cause his face to shine upon you, and may he be gracious to you. Amen. Amen. 